All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and get started. Yeah, whistles and hollers and all. So, you kiddos, you're not used to being in here. You guys need to sit down and listen, okay? See if you guys can get anything out of what we learned tonight from the book of Acts. Do you guys know who wrote Acts? Anybody under 10 know who wrote Acts? Andy knows who wrote Acts. (laughs) Kilo, who wrote the book of Acts? We're going to talk about Peter tonight, but Peter didn't write Acts. Who did? No, not Paul. Paul's in the book of Acts. We might talk about him tonight. I don't know. All right, Walker, who wrote Acts? Oh, Anna doesn't know. We need to go back to the basics. Mike knows who wrote Acts. Luke wrote Acts. Yeah, (laughs) Paul's not a bad bet. He wrote half of the New Testament books-wise, but do you guys know that Luke actually wrote more verses than Paul? Because the Gospel of Luke and Acts are so long. So he ended up writing more like space-wise, I guess, of the New Testament than Paul did. So tonight we're going to be in Acts chapter 12. We are online too, so we got people listening in online. Maybe not live, maybe live. Um, and we're not doing any live responses tonight, right, Jeremy? Uh, maybe. maybe. We, we may or may not. So if you have comments or questions, put them down there, and we might get to them. We'll see. All right, so Acts chapter 12. Let's go ahead and read and we'll open up in prayer. Acts 12. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James the brother of John put to death with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. Verse 6. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly. And his chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. When he had went out and continued to follow, and he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought that he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people, and from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not come open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. 
They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so and kept saying, it is his angel. They kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to him with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. When they had... Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Verse 20. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, The voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they were fulfilled, when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who is also called Mark. Let's pray. God, you are King of kings and Lord of lords, and we are so unworthy to even come before you in prayer. Thank you for Christ, our mediator, and his sacrifice, which uh, tore the veil from top to bottom and allows us to, to commune with you one-on-one uh, in the throne room of God. Uh, God, help us to, to remember that, to understand that, to take advantage of that. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who indwells us. Pray that he would lead us and guide us tonight as we open up your word and pray that you would help us to understand it better, that we would be uh, challenged and convicted. God, I pray that you would give us understanding, especially the, the little ones. God, I pray that they would hear and, and understand and retain the information. It wouldn't just be information, but we would take it, we would apply it to our lives. God, thank you for your people, for your church. Thank you for your word, for the fact that it's truth, and that we can, we can rely on it. God, I pray again that you would be with us tonight and help us as we study your word. Amen. All right. So it's been a little while, right? Since we actually got here to meet and go through Acts. It's good to be here. Jeremy has something. I noticed that everyone's staying 10 feet from you. Yeah. I haven't showered since I got home from work. (laughs) Worked on the basement, so extra raunchy tonight. 10 feet. All right. Um, I have up here 12 numbers on the board. Any idea what that's about? Good guess, but no. Um, We are in the 12th chapter of Acts. So let's go back and review what have we learned about so far. Um, Anybody remember what we learned last week and the week before that in Acts chapter 11? What was that, Rex? Oh, no. 
Jeremy did a great job teaching through 11. You guys are going to hurt his feelings if you don't remember. <laughs> Wake Peter Killeny. All right, so that was 10, right? Yeah, you are giving Jeremy credit for Mark's teaching in chapter 10. So um, chapter 10, good job, kind of. There we go, yeah. All right. <laughs> so that was in chapter 10. That was Peter's vision. And that was the, the sheet that was being lowered down from heaven. God telling him, uh, it's okay to associate with Gentiles. Marshall, you keep raising your hand. I'm calling you. What have we learned in the book of Acts so far? Yeah. Who was it? Oh, close. Uh, Stephen, yeah. Somebody. And what was unique about his martyrdom? It was the first one. Uh, all right. We need a bigger board. Yep. How could I write that succinctly? Like really succinctly, because there's other stuff that happened in that chapter. Paul slash Antioch. Okay. Alright, so I'm just going to put B and P. Not P and B, because that's peanut butter, right? But Barnabas and Paul on 11. Thank you. Alright. And what was the other big thing that happened in chapter 11? Related to chapter 10. Who is the gospel for? For Jew? Yes. Yeah, for the Jew first and then for the Gentiles. So um, that's like the chapter in the Bible where you go when somebody asks you, okay, well, who is the gospel for? Is it just for the Jews? Nope, for the Gentile. Um, and Ephesians 3. But what else? We got a lot of white space up here so far. What happened in the very beginning? Yeah, Jesus' ascension. That's how it starts off, right? I'm just going to put ascension. Oh, help me out, Britt. S-I-O-N. I knew that. All right, chapter 2. What big thing happened in Acts chapter 2? Huh? Pentecost. Pentecost. Thank you. I have a hard time hearing. Pentecost. And along with Acts chapter 1, what is Acts 1.8? Anybody know that verse? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, comes on you. All right, and to Pacing, Utah, and Utah County, right? Um, so we see a, a reiteration of the Great Commission to go out and to take the church beyond just the walls of Jerusalem. We've been seeing that all throughout the book of Acts, um, and we'll continue to throughout the book of Acts. Chapter 3, you guys can cheat if you want. Open up your Bibles. 
All right, Peter and who else is with Peter? Peter and John. And they heal the beggar. And that healing um, sparked something. What is the result of them healing the beggar other than him getting up and walking? There are a couple of results, I guess, but one in particular I'm looking for. What was that, Jen? Yeah, it showed that they had authority, that they were apostles, and they had this special um, gifting from God as apostles. Um, The result among the people was what? When they saw that God had this special, or God had bestowed them with this special power and authority. How did the people respond? They pray. <laughs> Walker's just throwing stuff out. Yeah, Joe said they were amazed, and many were, many believed and were added to that number. And that's something we also see throughout the book that daily people were added to the church, um, and it became multiples of people that were added to the church. What about the the Jewish people? What about the authorities? How did they respond in Acts chapter four? Greatly annoyed. All right. All right. So, um, I'm just going to put Peter is arrested. And we'll come back to that in a little bit. Acts chapter 5 is a pretty vital chapter. Ananias and Sapphira. And what happened to them? Who did they lie to? Yeah. And it says that they lied to God, right? It says you have not lied to, to man but to God. And it's because you lied to the Holy Spirit that, that you're going to die. Yep. All right. We are moving along. Good. Acts chapter 6. Yeah. I wouldn't mind calling them deacons, but others might mind. So, seven. Just seven are appointed. You call them what you want. But they, they acted in the role of deacons, uh, what is the precursor to what we know today as deacons. All right. And then, Acts chapter 7, some guy was martyred, right? Stephen, the first martyr. And Acts chapter 8, who do we read about there? In Acts chapter 8. Yeah, we, like, at the very end of 7 and beginning of 8, we see a little bit of Saul, right? Yep, Saul was in hearty agreement, putting him to death. But the persecution. Yeah, all throughout this we see persecution, right? Um, Here he's arrested. Uh, Into chapter 5 we see some persecution. Stephen being martyred, that's a big sign of persecution. Um... What about this guy? Philip. And I don't know how many L's he has in his name. Philip the Evangelist and the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Evangelism explosion for you from the 90s. 
All right, so Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, again, we see the gospel spreading out. It's not just staying in Jerusalem, um, it's going out. And there's some transportation going on there. Philip is transported out of um, wherever he was, and it's pretty cool stuff. And then Acts chapter 9 is where we really get into um, Saul, right? Yep, Saul's conversion. Uh, okay, it kind of fits in there. All right, we are all caught up. And here in Acts chapter 12, how could we summarize what we just read? Yeah, we have King Herod, and what does he do? He dies, right? Um, all right, so we have Herod in Acts chapter 12. And then who else? Peter, Peter right? And once again, he's locked up, um, and he gets out of prison. I'm not going to write that, but he gets out of prison. Um, so, lots of stuff that's been going on up until this point. I want to focus on what you guys have already pointed out, the persecution that's been going on up to this point. So, again, a couple things are going on. The, the church is growing numerically. It's growing geographically, going out from just Jerusalem. And along with that, um, persecution is happening. Not just locally, but as it spreads, the persecution follows along with them. So let's turn to Acts chapter 4. And I'm going to see if we can have you guys read and see how well this mic will pick you up. So read out loud. Because again, we might have some people following along online. So, will somebody read Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 3? Four? Yep, 4, 1 through 3. Now, as he spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Being greatly disturbed they, that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Four. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be known, came to be about five thousand. Alright, so yeah, there we see the growth that resulted even despite the persecution. So there in verse Two, it says that they were being greatly disturbed. So I'm going to write that down here. I don't know if you'll be able to see it, but um, that was a result. They were preaching Christ. They were preaching the resurrection specifically. Um, and who does it say was disturbed? In verse 1, the priest, captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees. Remember, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They were preaching the resurrection of Christ this disturbed them is the word that the text uses. It says they took them and put them into jail until the next day. All right, we'll jump on down to verse 18. Will somebody read verses 18 through 21, please? All right, Jerry's got it. Yep, 4, 18 through 21. Jerry's got it. When they had summoned him, they commanded him not to speak or teach 
All right. So what was the result? They threw him into prison for a day or so. And what did they end up doing in those verses? Yeah, the apostles kept preaching, right? They said, well, we're going to do what God tells us to do. He's called us to go out into Samaria, Judah, all to the ends of the world and to preach. And that's what we're going to do. Well, the authorities who had put them in prison pretty much just gave them a slap on the wrist. They said, okay, well, don't do it again, right? And they let him go. It says in verse 21 that it was on account of the people that they, they just let him go. They couldn't find any basis to punish them. They didn't do anything to him, really. They told him, don't do it again. Um, and the apostles were pretty straightforward in saying, well, we're going to do it again, right? Um, unapologetically. Well, let's skip forward to Acts chapter 5, and let's pick up in verse 12. Maybe we can get a lady to read for us. Acts five twelve through 16. So here, back up in verse 13, it says, but none of the rest dared to associate with them. So we see a little bit of distancing going on here in chapter 5. Uh, it said that they still respected them, and they still had a, a high appreciation for them. They would, some would come and listen, but there were a lot of people that were kind of holding off a little bit. They didn't want to be associated with them because they saw the, the persecution that was going on. Um, yeah, it wasn't to a great extent just yet, but they, they kind of got a feel for the fact that, okay, well, this is different from this Judaism that we were brought up in. These guys are preaching something different, and the authorities aren't really liking it, so they distanced themselves. It said that, um, that there were people that were believing, right? Many that were added to their number. So again, this tells us that they were preaching. It doesn't tell us explicitly right here. They went out and they were preaching. They were declaring the gospel. But if people are believing, then we can infer that that's what was going on. They were being obedient to this call that Christ had given them back in 1.8. All right, I'll read verses 17 through 21. We'll look at the response of those in authority. It says, But the high priest rose up along with all of his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, same people we saw in chapter 4. And they were filled with jealousy. They laid their hands on the apostles and they put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, Go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life, capital L, Jesus. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and they began to teach. So what do we see in this section? What did, it's miraculous that we, we see Peter, who not long 
far before this occurred was denouncing denying Jesus three times. Yeah. And then because and then of the things that he saw that he felt that he was told, he got a, a whole new boldness that it doesn't matter if you killed me, I'm going to speak to Jesus Christ, the Lord, and it doesn't matter what. Yep. And just not long before that, he was denying him. Yeah. And he, he spoke pretty boldly before, right? Remember when Jesus predicted it, he said, oh, never God, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But he didn't really put his money where his mouth was, right? But here, he's been locked up twice by this point. So chapter 4 and chapter 5 says Peter and the apostles, so he's being locked up again. Uh, we're going to get to chapter 12. We're still talking about Peter being locked up. So definitely a change of, from where he was when he was denying Christ. Uh, we see that the response is, is jealousy. So we've gone from being disturbed to being jealous. That we can see even in the, the verbs that Scripture uses an escalation in the heat that's being brought upon the Christians. Um, verses 25 and 26 just a little bit further down, it says, But someone came and reported to them, The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. So again, we see they're faithful to the gospel. They went out and they kept preaching and teaching. Um, gotta love that. But they went back to arrest them again. It says that they were fearful of the people. And so they're not quite to the point where they feel the, the liberty that they can go in, they can arrest them, um, and they can punish them, they can persecute them. This isn't Acts chapter 7 just yet. We're working our way up to it. At this point, they're still fearful. Will somebody read verses 27 through 29? Yes, please. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. All right, so once again, we see persistence all the way around on the part of Peter and the apostles, on the part of the, the priests and the, the Sadducees, those who are coming after them. Everybody's, they're holding their ground, and they're not wanting to budge. Uh, so we got two things that are coming to a head, and it's going to keep, keep doing that. Um, even to this day, still coming to a head. All right, verses 40 through 42 says, they took his advice. Um, so this is Gamaliel's advice, right? Yes. So remember, Gamaliel gave advice to them. Um, they wanted to, to draw blood. Gamaliel gave them some decent advice. He says, um, if, if this is of God, then we can't go against it because we don't want to go up against God. That's, that's good, right? But he says, if it's not of God, then it will just pass away. That's not so true. That's not good advice. Uh, Andy's got something for us. So, question. Saul was taught by Gamaliel, however you pronounce it. Yeah. Is this the same one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so he was a pretty respected teacher. 
All right, so verses 40 through 42, um, talking about Gamaliel's advice. They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then release them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Again, escalation, not just a slap on the wrist. They don't just say, don't do it again. While they do say that, they flog them, and then they send them on their way. And again, persistence on the part of the apostles. God love that. They kept on teaching and preaching not only from house to house, but in the temple. So <laughs> they, they were definitely about obeying God rather than men. All right, let's jump forward a little bit. Um, chapter 6. And will somebody read verses 8 through 13? Talking about Stephen and what he did to get himself in trouble. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as they were called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. All right. So they've taken it a step further now. Uh, they are inciting people to, to come up with some kind of lie, to say they're blaspheming, and to bring forward false witness against Stephen so they could have him persecuted. They could have him murdered and condemned. Um, verses 51 through 54 of Acts chapter 7. This is after um, his, well, this is at the tail end of his sermon in response to their, their charges against him. 51 through 54 in Acts chapter 7. It says, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Those are pretty cut and dry words, right? He's, um, he's giving them what they deserve. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. So again, it's coming to a head, right? We got the Christians who want to be faithful. We got the, the haters of God who have a hard heart, and they want to um, to trash the... The gospel, and they don't want the, the word of God to go forward. 57 through 59 says, But they cried out with a loud voice, and they covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. What a, a visual to actually cover your ears. I mean, they've been covering their ears this whole time, not listening to the truth of the gospel. Jesus came and told them to repent. John the Baptist came and told them to repent. The apostles are there healing people, and they're throwing them into prison, and they're covering their ears and rushing at them. Walker. Like, was Luke here to like, witness all this? 
Luke went back and he reported. So you go back to the Gospel of Luke and he says, well, I went and I asked and um, he took careful notes and he um, relayed what he um, reported, I guess. He was a reporter, a historian. All right, 58. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And witnesses laid aside their robes at a young man, at the feet of a young man named Saul. Then they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So, this is like as, as far as you can go. They stoned him to death. Even as he's calling out to Christ, they continue stoning him to death. Um, persecution is, is real. And it has escalated to the point of death in chapter 7. Jumping forward to chapter 9, again, where Saul is converted. The same Saul they were just laying their coats down at his feet. Um, verse 1 says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. So he's continuing on this murderous persecution of the Christians. We read about his conversion in chapter 9. And then, towards the end of chapter 9, or the middle of chapter 9, he's the one who's being persecuted. In verse 22, it says, But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So he was confounding the Jews. He was baffling the Jews. They were unable to, to answer what he was giving them. He was giving them truth. Um, being well-versed in the Old Testament, applying those truths to Christ as Messiah, and they were unable to, to articulate any kind of defense. And so what did they do? Well, verse 23 says, When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. And they were watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. Again, they've had a, a taste for blood, and they liked it. And they're out for more blood. And they want to continue to, to squash this sect of Judaism, what they would look at as a, a cult, as false teaching. They don't understand and recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. And so they are zealously, passionately pursuing Christ and anybody who call themselves Christians. Again, verse 29 says that he, that is Saul, was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews but they were attempting to put him to death. So again, they're unable to answer his refutes, his rebuttals, and so they decide, oh, we'll just get rid of him. We'll kill this guy instead of actually address what he's saying and, and look at it with any sense of um, honesty. Any thoughts or questions up to this point? Marshall's got something. Nothing. All right. Keep listening, okay? I want you to tell me what Acts chapter 12 is about when we get home. We're going to jump into it now, all right? I know we've had a, a lot of going back and looking at some background, but um, it's been a, an escalation of how the church has been persecuted. Now we get to chapter 12, and we're going to see a continuation of the persecution of the church. So Acts chapter 12, I'll go ahead and read the first two verses. It says, Now about that time Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. All right, so 
we need to pause here and talk a little bit about Herod. Because um, there were a number of Herods. Herod was a, a family name that was popularized and um, people would use it kind of like you would use president. Who is the president of the United States? Donald Trump, right? But if we're in 2000, who's the president of the United States? <laughs> well, yeah, depends on. Yeah. So um, we don't see the, the need to clarify when we're talking about the president that we're talking about President Trump, right? We can just say the president, blank, 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 or um, somebody local if we're in um, just the mayor or the sheriff, right? Um, and so that same kind of thing is going on here with Herod, but we need to determine which Herod is he talking about because there they would have known which Herod they're talking about. But we, 2,000 years later, um, could get it confused a little bit. So the first Herod I want to talk about is... I don't want to use this pen, this marker, rather. First Herod is Herod the Great. Now, Herod the Great was a very evil, wicked man. He was a Jewish man who was put in power by the Romans to govern that that area in Galilee and to be in charge. And he had ten wives and tons and tons of kids, and it was because of his kids and the plethora of his kids that we have kind of a, a difficult time differentiating between different Herods because they went on to um, come to some kind of leadership or rulership or authority. And so that's why we have several Herods. Well, this Herod, Herod the Great, is the one who was chasing after Jesus when we first opened up our, our Gospels and he was... Uh, having all the the baby boys put to death because he was jealous. And he was the king of the Jews, right? And he wasn't going to have anybody else who was going to be called king of the Jews. So that was Herod the Great. The second Herod, and the Herod that we see here in this text, is the grandson of Herod the Great. Um, He was the nephew to Herod Antipas, right? Am I saying that right? Maybe. It's actually Oh, okay. <laughs> so Herod Antipas. Thanks, Jeremy. Antipas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, Herod Antipas, he was the one who, um, he was sleeping around with his, what was it, like, breath, sister-in-law, right? And John called him out on it. And what did he do to John the Baptist? Yeah, he had his head delivered on a platter, right? And yeah, sure, he was reluctant to do so, but he did it nevertheless. He was a wicked man. He was the Herod who um, had Jesus put to death. So definitely runs in the family. A lot of of wickedness, both in Herod the Great and in Herod Antipas. Uh, Herod is one mentioned in Acts chapter 4 as being responsible for the death of Christ. Uh, remember, Luke says that uh, it was Herod, it was Pilate, it was the Jews, it was the Gentiles, and it was really God's sovereign will that that worked through those different agents to accomplish what he did through Christ on the cross. All right, and the Herod that we're talking about here 
is Herod Agrippa. And not just Herod Agrippa, but Herod Agrippa the first, because there are other Herod Agrippas. So, we are talking about the, the third Herod on our list um, here in Acts chapter 12, Herod Agrippa. And unlike these other Herods, this Herod wasn't just a, a general governor over a region over Galilee, but he was king. He was appointed king. He was really buddy-buddy with everybody up in Rome. Um, he was tight with um, Claudius. He was good with um, Caligula and Tiberius, all these different people who would eventually become Caesar, he was all mucky-muck with them. And his allegiances really fell to, to Rome. And he, while he was networking with Rome, he was quite a networker and liked to rub elbows with all the, the Roman people. He, as well, was a Jew. And his area, his I guess his job description was to keep the Jews in check. And by keeping the Jews in check, he would please those who were in Rome. And so he wanted to please the Jews, but he wanted to do so so that he could please those who were in power in Rome. His job was to keep the peace and to keep people from rising up, which was a a difficult job. Historically, you have all the, the zealots, now you have the Christians, you have these different people who aren't okay with Rome running things and they're taking it out on the person they are uh, directly accountable to. And so he had a a pretty difficult job, but he was ultimately allied with, with Rome. That's where his ultimate allegiance fell. Josephus says that he desired to preserve the Jews for the Romans and the temple and the metropolis for the Jews. So again, he's trying to please both people and in pleasing the Jews, he would end up pleasing the Romans. I know we're not really getting into the text, but this is good background. It will help us understand the text a little bit better as to his motives and why he's doing what he's doing. Um, as a, a way to please the, the Jews, he had a, a big, huge wall built around the city. It was um, like 20 cubits wide and 10 cubits deep, which is like... Uh, 15 cubits by, or 15 feet by 30 feet, so it was like really thick wall, but he didn't have it completed because he was afraid of how that would look to Rome. Like he's trying to annex himself and set up his own kingdom, his own authority, and so he started this to please the Jews, but he stopped it because he was a man pleaser and he didn't want to upset his buddies in Rome. Um, And so while it was in his best interest to please the Jews, ultimately, again, he wanted to please Rome by doing so. All right. Another person we see here in verse 2 is James. It was James who this Herod had put to death. I'll go ahead and read those verses again. But about this time, Herod the king, that is Herod Agrippa I, laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. So he had bad intentions. He wanted to kill them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. So here, this James is identified as the brother of John. What other James do we know of in Scripture? Yeah. And what was um, unique about his position in the church? 
Yeah, the half-brother of Christ. Yeah, he had a, a pretty exalted position in the church. And we're going to read about him later on in the chapter. We need to recognize it's a different James. It's not the James who was just killed, because that wouldn't make any sense. And then also in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 is going to be the last place that we see Peter. And here in Acts chapter 12 is the last place up until like a brief appearance in 15. And so this is kind of a, a pivotal splitting point in the book of Acts, um, where we're focusing on Peter up until this point. We got a little bit of Paul in chapter 9, um, back to Peter. And then after this, it's going to mostly focus on Paul. All right, what other John, or James rather do we see in the New Testament? James, yes, you guys are both right. So James Less, James the Lesser, the Younger. Do they really? <laughs> I would not be surprised at all if they call him Jim in the Message Bible. <laughs> hey, Jimmy. <laughs> all right, so he was another disciple. He wasn't any less apostolic. He didn't have less authority than this other James, but he was not as influential, I guess, as James the brother of John, um, who was part of the inner circle. He was there when he was there for all kinds of stuff. Um, whenever Jesus went off and he did something else, he was going to heal somebody. When we see the, the transfiguration, he took James and John and Peter. So um, three different James we're talking about or that we see in the, the Bible. This one going to come up later in the chapter. Or rather, the brother of Christ is going to come up later in the chapter. And the brother of John is the one who is killed here. So he was an apostle. He is the first apostle who is killed, who is murdered for his faith. Um, and it's back in Matthew 20 somewhere that Jesus prophesies this, that James and John, they come and they have their mom ask Jesus if they can sit next to him in the kingdom. And Jesus says, no, <laughs> right? That, that's not my place to give. It's um, the father who's going to appoint those positions. But are you able to drink the cup from which I'm going to drink? And without even thinking about it, without missing a beat, they're, yeah, we can do that. And not even knowing what they're talking about. And Jesus says, well, you will, in fact, drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of. And here we see that that comes to pass, that James is the first apostle to, to be murdered for his faith. And ironically, John is the last apostle to die. And he isn't murdered, but he is exiled and... Um, he is left alone. And we see some similarities in the way that he was treated and the way that um, in his death to Christ as well. Yeah, Walker. So they asked if they could sit next to Jesus and he said no? Uh, he said, that's not my, my authority to give. The Father has um, established who he's going to do that with. It's in the latter part of Matthew 20. Matthew 20. I said, are you able to drink of this cup? And be baptized and, with, the bat, with my baptism. Yep. So he was asking if Not exactly, but in some regard, yes. All right. And so here we see that um, come to completion, that that's actually what's happening. Um, and in verse 2, we see that this Herod, Herod Agrippa I, this evil, wicked man, had James, the brother of John, 
put to death. And how did he do that? With a sword. And that's kind of interesting because that ties us back to where we've been in Deuteronomy lately. Now, remember this Herod, he wanted to please the Jews, right? He just wanted to please the Jews so he could please Rome, so he could be some kind of popular guy. He was looking out for number one. He just wanted to to look good. And so in pleasing the Jews, um, he had him killed in this specific way with a sword. And if we read back in Deuteronomy 13... Um, we can get some insight into why he might have done this. So Deuteronomy thirteen twelve through 15, and here's what it says. It says, If you hear in one of my cities, which the Lord your God is giving you to live in, anyone saying that some worthless men have gone out from among you and have seduced the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods whom you have not known, and you shall investigate and search out and inquire thoroughly if it is true and the matter established that this abomination has been done among you, then you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it and all that is in it and the cattle with the edge of the sword. And so um, it's been postulated that he uses a sword to kill James here to identify him as a false teacher, to say that, well, he's not following after these Roman gods. He's following after some guy named Jesus and saying that he's God. Um, He's not following after the the Jewish God, right, when he's talking to the Jews. And so let's have him killed as some kind of heretic, some kind of atheist. Um, It wasn't long after this that uh, Polycarp of Smyrna, the disciple of John, said away with the atheists. He was standing in um, some kind of place, getting ready to be murdered. Um, What is that place? The Colosseum. And his accuser said, well, you need to say away with the atheists because the Christians were known as atheists because they denied all these different gods, these Greek gods, these Roman gods. They said, no, we just believe in one God, and that's an invisible God. And so they were known as atheists, as ironic as that is for us to say. The Christians were called atheists. And so Polycarp was pretty great at at turning a phrase. And so he'd say, all right, well, away with the atheists. And he pointed out to everybody else who was calling on him to, to be murdered. And then he himself was martyred for his faith. And so it was pretty common for um, Christians to be called atheists. And it's likely that that's why he has him put to death with a sword here in verse 2. Yes? No, John the brother, or James the brother of John. Um, he was put to death by a sword. So we can infer that he was referring back to Deuteronomy 13, which talks about leading people after other gods. And that's why he had him put to death in that way. Yes. That was 13, chapter 13, verses 12 through 15. That's the, the false prophecy chapter. 13 and 18 talk about how to identify a false prophet. Those are good chapters and verses to know in our part of the world. Yes. Apostles on the earth 
Yeah. And then right here we see one of the apostles getting killed. And immediately they cast lots to replace him, right? Yeah, yeah. The other eleven are still alive, and they never replaced them. Yep. So anytime you get yourself in a conversation where they're like, "Hey, there has to be twelve apostles," that's the way Jesus set it up. Just nope. turn to Acts twelve and say, "Why didn't they replace James?" Yep. So why, why did they say that? Then? Do what? Why did they say that? That's what their whole system is based off. In Acts chapter one, they said that there needed to be twelve because there needed to be twelve rulers to to rule over. Um, but that's no longer the case, and this is a great, great proof text for that. So, there aren't any, there are no longer 12 disciples, and we can remember that we can disprove that by going to Acts chapter 12. Joe. So, being killed by different means means different things? So no, not necessarily. Um, so, it would be much more common for them to have stoned James. Um, that's how Stephen was killed back in Acts chapter 7. Um, Peter, by church history, is, church history tells us that Peter was crucified. He requested to be crucified upside down. And so there, those were more common means of, of being murdered um, than being killed by the sword. And so theologians have speculated that going back to Deuteronomy 13, um, and in, how do I say that? Um, that King Herod Agrippa just drew from, from Deuteronomy 13 to show that he was some kind of atheist, that he was teaching a false god, because that's how you would kill a false god according to Deuteronomy 13. Yes? Um, because these other people were professing faith in Christ, right? And that's why they were killed as Christians, as little Christ, as people who are part of the church. The church had not yet been established by Christ. Christ is the one who was going to establish it. So, yeah. He was killed because it was preordained by God, right? Going back to Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 2. Um, but he... Used, he sinlessly used the sin of um, this Herod, Herod Antipas, and others to have that done. All right. Anything else? I thought I saw another hand. All right. Um, let's read through three through five real quick. Got to get on the right page. Okay, Acts 12, verses 3. When he saw, that is, Herod Agrippa uh, I, saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So he's going after the big guns now. All right, well, I killed James, and they were happy with that, so now let's go get Peter. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread when he seized him, and he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him. So he had four squads, four different quadrants of soldiers, and so there would be four soldiers on each Squad. So he would have two who would be with him, chained to him, and then who, two who would be outside the door, keeping watch. And it says at the end of verse 4 that he was intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. All right, I think we'll probably just end there because I don't want to rush through anything else. And we can pick up there next week. Do we have any other thoughts or questions before we wrap up?
Yes, Diana. The James that we're going to see later on in the chapter was Jesus' brother. But the James who we read about here being killed was the brother of John. Does that make sense? Yes, half-brother. Yep. (laughs) Because he wasn't divine, right? Okay, thank you. Uh, They were both apostles, disciples of Christ. So when Jesus went out and he called to himself those 12 disciples, he was one of the two fishermen. Or, yeah, one of the fishermen. 